0: Good morning, Soul City Church. How are you doing today? Woo-hoo! 1130. Oh my gosh, wasn't that awesome? All those kids and families that make you either want to have kids or, uh, or not. But anyway, <laughs> it, it, you know, hey, however, whatever. But what a cool picture of, of what God's uh, doing in and through this church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here uh, at Soul City last weekend was so incredible. If you missed it, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and listen to the podcast or catch up in the video. If you're watching online now, maybe right after this you want to catch up as we shared our 2020 vision, where God's taking our church over the next two years. These are exciting days. Uh, as a part of our celebration last week, we dropped a new worship song, our worship, Soul City worship. Dropped a new song, I'm Ready. And I don't know if you've listened to it or downloaded or streamed it yet. Uh, it's one of the songs we sing regu- regularly here, so you can download that. And give it a listen. Share it with people who uh, who need to hear it. It is an awesome, awesome song. You can grab that today. Uh, we are going to move into a time of uh, responding to God's goodness. We give back to God out of His goodness. I don't know if you just saw it on stage. What God's doing in uh, the families of this church. What God's doing uh, in uh, folks in and around this church in our neighborhood. It is powerful to see. And so what we do is we want to respond to the movement of God by giving of ourselves. Ultimately, what we're doing is giving back to God what he's entrusted to us. And the way we're able to do things like with the gratitude weekend this last weekend and with the Christmas store coming up, it's because of faithful folks like you responding to the faithfulness of God. In faith saying, I believe God can do more through these resources that I've set aside than I could ever do on my own. And so why wouldn't you want to say thank you, God, and give back to him? And so there's three ways you can do that. We're going to go old school in a minute and pass the buckets. Maybe you like to do it that way. You like to hear the sound of paper hitting plastic. Or maybe uh, you can text in to give. That's one of the best ways to do it. You can fast track you that way. Or you can do what the majority of our church does. Uh, The majority of our church actually gives online. So if you want to be part of the in crowd, that is the way uh, to do that. If you're a guest, I want to tell you this before. If you're new here, maybe it's your first weekend, a lot of folks are here, maybe for their first time. This next part is not for you. We don't want you to feel any obligation. Don't want it to get weird with giving. We only have one rule for you. We don't expect you to put anything in the bucket. We just ask uh, that you not take anything out. All right? So when it goes by, just kind of hands to yourself, right, as it goes uh, by. So I'm going to ask our amazing volunteers to uh, come and allow us to respond to God's goodness right now. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series this weekend called Peace in Polarizing Times. And I don't know if you felt like I felt it, but it feels hectic in our world right now, doesn't it? It feels tense. People are always on edge with each other, uh, blow up on each other, make all kinds of broad, sweeping statements and assumptions about each other. And we just want to say, God, is that really what you want of us? Is that really what you want, God. Uh, from us. And w- if you wondered, or, or maybe you're questioning, do we really live in polarizing times? Uh, I would encourage you to read the comment section of any post or any video that's posted and just see how much absolute strangers love to tear each other apart. In, in fact, there was uh, a significant, a kind of a watershed moment that happened for our country uh, about a week ago, and it was posted on, uh, online. And I was reading through the comment section thousands and thousands of comments in response to just this one post that someone put up. And I want to read to you just a selective reading of some of the thousands of comments that were posted. As I'm reading to you some of these comments, let me say two things. First, I want you to guess what event triggered these kind of comments. Okay, see if you can figure it out. Two, these are not my positions, vision, or belief. Like, I want to be really clear with a disclaimer. I didn't write these. I'm just reporting the news, okay? So uh, I want to read to you uh, just some of, this is like in the middle of a couple thousand comments. Someone wrote this. They wrote, First of all, Republican is not equivalent to Christian. We are constantly being either misinterpreted, torn down, or completely disregarded in the press. To which someone replied, I'm super curious. I'm sure you are. I'm super curious in what world do you think Christians and Christianity isn't all caps everywhere? Or is the bad press you all get for things like this right here? Maybe, maybe one of the reasons why is if good, honest, loving Christians spoke up more and not just when they want to have a pity party, people would actually listen. But no, you protect the priest." the vice president, the cop, and the president. So until evil men who God would never love... <clears throat> let me repeat that last part. <laughs> so, until, uh, so until evil men who God would never love are held accountable by the majority of Christians, the rest of the world will look with a watchful eye and confusion while money seems to run Christians more than Christ does. Dang. To which someone else replied, I totally understand what you're saying. That's why I voted for Trump. Not because, not because I love everything about him, but because he is pro-life. And because I didn't want Hillary to win. Voting for the lesser of two evils? Maybe. I do wish he acted more presidential, though. But I do agree with most of his policies. I would have preferred Pence as president, but I see that Pence has had a major effect on him. And then they closed out with the praying hands emoji, you know, just (laughs) offering that one up to God. Okay. To which someone replied, listen, I never said Hillary was a good choice. They're both terrible candidates. I will, but I will never support a man who's motivated by hate. So excuse me if I don't bow down to him because he's making the stock market rise. You know what? You can tell the nature of a man by the way his wife looks at him. I didn't know that. Are you looking at me right now, man? How am I doing? (laughs) Okay, good. I'm doing all right. You can tell the nature of a man by the way his wife looks at him, and she looks at him with shame. So this person clearly is a therapist. Uh, To which someone else replied, typical lefty, you need to do some self-reflection because you are a complete hypocrite. To which someone else replied, You mean just like those narrow-minded, angry rioters and folks following people to their homes and nights out? All caps, GOTCHA. Nice name-calling on your part. Quit being so hypocritical yourself. Then, several comments down, uh, apropos to nothing that nobody was talking about, someone posted this. I'm currently dating a Republican. (laughs) I think that's a show on Bravo. I'm not exactly sure. I feel like that's already a show on Bravo. I'm dating a Republican. I just love that that's where it's the... I'm currently dating a Republican. And then uh, they go on to say, Sadly, I may need to end it all because I'm tired of his constant belittling of my values. I gave it a good two-year try. (laughs) Sweetie, (laughs) we could have ended this a while ago. I gave it a good two-year try. Always tried to see his side. Frankly, I'm starting to believe he doesn't have any values except hating liberals. Okay. That is just a segment of the comments in this one post. Does anyone want to guess what post triggered that kind of dialogue? Thousands of comments in one post. Anyone want to guess what the event, the national major and significant event was it that did that? It's okay if you can shout it out. Just, you're just guessing. Oh, the okay, the weather, yeah probably. No, um, this is it. It was actually when Chip and Joanna Gaines appeared on the Tonight Show, and Joanna posted a picture. So happy to be on the Tonight Show to promote my new book. And this is the dialogue that came out of that. It's Chip and JoJo. What have they ever done to you? Other than taught you the value of shiplap. I mean, honestly. Honestly. What have they ever done to you? There were, listen to this, as of this morning, 6,250 comments on that one picture. There were more words in that comment section than in my last book. It's (laughs) unbelievable to consider where we are at as a country. The, The polarization that we are experiencing is out of control. Would you agree? Now, here's what's interesting it's not new. We've had uh, difficult and trying days before in a country, as our country. In fact, our country was actually formed and forged, actually, on resistance and and rebellion. But it's just that it feels so much more pervasive and so much more uh, divisive these days. I think a lot of that is because we have far more feeds coming into our life, bringing all of that with it. According to a recent Huffington Post YouGov poll, they found this, nearly half of Americans got into an argument with someone they know this last year over the election. And I would say that number is low. I think a lot more folks did. I think if we did a poll in this room, we'd find that to be true. Uh, Pew Research recently reported that, now listen to this, 45% of Republicans and 41% of Democrats think that the other party poses a dangerous threat to the health of the nation. Did you get that? Half of one party thinks the other half is a dangerous threat to the health of our nation. And it's not just polls and, and statistics. The FBI just reported last week that hate crimes are up by 17% this year in our country. Anti-Semitic crimes are up significantly more than that this year. All this while we see the attempt to validate the demonic and idiotic hatred of white supremacists and white nationalists as they try and mainstream their ideology. All of this concurs together, comes together, leaving us feeling like we are living in a permanent state of a tipping point. It just feels like we're constantly on the edge as a nation. So, why are we talking about this in church? I mean, don't you feel like you already get enough of this? I and mean, you're just trying to follow Joanna Gaines on Instagram. You get enough of this there. Why are we talking about this in church? And, and, and why are we talking about it this weekend? Why would we talk about it this weekend? Well, it's simple. It's because Thanksgiving is this week. And you're going to be sitting around the table with some folks <laughs> who you don't agree with, who you might find yourself tempted to get into these conversations with. Things can get out of hand around the Thanksgiving table. Conversations can get heated, especially if Aunt Kathy shows up and has more than one glass of wine. That's why we're talking about it right now because I honestly believe if we don't talk about it in church, this is the only place this world has actually got a hope of getting it right. We have to talk about this and what it is that God has actually called us to that's different than all of that. So what I want to do today Is have us consider this question that I think all of us face on a regular basis. Specifically, as we think about getting together with folks, maybe that we're seeing them this week that may value different things or see things differently. The question is this How do you not lose your heart and your mind when you don't see eye to eye? How do you not lose your heart? How do you not lose hope? How do you not get discouraged? How do you not lose your mind? How do you not go crazy? when you don't see eye to eye with someone, when you you don't agree on various different things. I I think this one is so important for the church to get right because there are far too many folks who call themselves Christians who are doing nothing more than just contributing to the hate and division that we're currently experiencing as a nation. And I would say, uh, beyond all of that, there are far too many of us, personally, that have lost our cool or have judged someone in broad strokes based on our perception and our perspective, our positions, who've said things that we regret, extreme things, maybe even hateful things. And some of us have done it in the name of Jesus. And I just think, I happen to believe we're better than that. I believe you're better than that. I'm better than that. And so what I want us to look at is how can you not lose your heart, not lose your mind, when you don't see Eye to eye to someone. What 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 can you actually begin to do? So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to grab a Bible and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. So there should be a Bible right under your seat. Everyone can grab one. If you brought one with you, awesome. Uh, But if not, there should be this Soul City Bible right here. And it's right under your seat, or if you're in the balcony, it should be right on your seat. And you can turn to Romans chapter 12. In the Soul City Bible, it's actually on page 920. On page 920, that'll fast track you and get you there. Uh, We're going to look at some, I think, powerful and profound wisdom of what we do when we don't see eye to eye. Now, let me give you some context as to this uh, passage. This is a letter actually written uh, by the Apostle Paul. Wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. You may know that. This is actually a letter written to the church in Rome. Now, what's interesting about the context is that uh, this church in Rome had a, a fundamental different world, like fundamentally different worldview than the city that it was in. Rome was the capital of paganism, of hedonism, and here's this little church talking about love your neighbor and care for others. It was totally uh, counterintuitive to the to the world that they were in, and even within this church in Rome. There were all kinds of disagreements and differences about how people perceived and lived out the way of Jesus. They didn't even agree on everything within this church. And so Paul is writing to them, moved by and compelled by, changed by the teachings and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he offers them this. He offers us this profound uh, advice for how we can actually pursue peace in days like these. Now, last thing, I'm going to get to the Bible in a second. I do want to say this. Uh, there are lots of folks in our church who are all over the spiritual spectrum and i i love that about our church there are folks for whom this is your first sunday at church ever or first sunday back in a long time you're not sure about the faith thing you you know you're just kind of like oh there's a nice place nice people and so you kind of you know you're here today i love that you're here that's so awesome Uh, I want to just say a word, though, to those who'd say, "Yep, I'm all in. I'm on board with Jesus. I'm a Christian, okay? If you call yourself a Christian, like, that's me. I'm a Christian. Yep, that's that's who I am. I just want to say a quick word to you, okay? So everyone else, you can kind of zone out for a little bit. Check your email. I just want to talk to the Christians for a second. Christians, it's good to see you. Listen, (laughs) what we're about to walk through is not optional, okay? I just want to be really clear. It's not like if you get around to it. Like, this is... What we've really been instructed to do by God. This isn't optional. Does that make sense? Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I think this is incredibly helpful for you. I think this could change the conversation at Thanksgiving, change the dialogue in your workspace. I think it absolutely will help you. But for those of you who call yourselves Christians, we, this is not optional for us. So let's dive into what Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 17. He says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of who? In the eyes of everyone. Now, this is Paul's kind of number one rule. Listen, when it starts to get heated, when you disagree, when you, know, you don't see eye to eye, don't repay evil for evil. But be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. When you are confronted with hateful or angry rhetoric or opinions, the goal isn't to try and match it. I think that's our natural inclination is someone kind of comes at us heated and, you know, they kind of come all passionate and maybe pointing a finger even. We want to ramp up and match it, if not beat that kind of energy. It's like uh, when it comes to how we dialogue with each other, the knob broke years ago and we only go from zero to 11. We're either silent or screaming. That's how it feels these days. And so, what Paul's saying here is, you don't just go straight to 11 and just scream and try and match that kind of anger. Cranking up the volume, typing in all caps, doesn't really actually change anything. We've forgotten how to actually listen to each other without feeling the need to make a point, to just listen and honor each other by hearing someone else's perspective or opinion on things. This idea was repeated, and I think it would serve us well to to learn from and lean into the wisdom of Dr. King. It was Dr. King who said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And in the same way he said, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't repay evil for evil. Now, that's a great principle. Would you agree that that actually could spare you from a lot of fights and arguments and disagreements if we actually apply this principle to our lives? I will say this, it's not always easy to do, especially in real life, especially in real time. Like, let me give you an example. Has anyone ever sent you an angry email or text before where they just put you on blast? They use as many all caps as possible. Like they wanted to let you know this, that you've ever received, and maybe it was really hurtful. Maybe it was recent for you or you've received one. In the past, that's a moment where you have to decide, am I going to repay their energy with that same kind of energy? Whether it's evil or not, but I'm going to just, you know, if they're angry, I'm going to get more angry. You ever had that inclination in you? Just me? Okay. Well, uh, recently, a couple months ago, I received uh, a, a text message from someone here in our church. Let me just say this. Soul City, uh, you, are a, you are a lovely group of people. a delightful, I really love being with you. You are a, a warm, kind loving group of people. I love when you encourage Jeannie and I and our staff. It means the world to us. Every now and then, some people send in different kind of emails or text messages where they let us know all the things we're doing wrong. And this was one of those texts. And you have every right to do that. Feel free to do that. Uh, You can send those to Jeannie Stevens (laughs) at SoulCityChurch.com. She would love to reply to those. Um, But so someone texted me. This is someone I know from our church. And, I mean, they just came in hot on this text message. We were talking about something else, and then, boom, they were so mad. And they were, uh, said, you know, I can't believe you didn't talk about this thing on Sunday, this thing that they're really passionate about. What had happened is that Thursday, there was a policy that was passed, and uh, this person really disagreed with it and was angry that on Sunday, we didn't take time on stage to speak against that policy in our country. They were really uh, upset about it and then began in the text dialogue that we were having together to say, how dare you? What a You wasted a Sunday. You wasted an opportunity. I thought we were the kind of church that cared for the poor and the oppressed. Why do we even say that if we're not willing to do it? And then they kind of said some stuff personally, like to me, about how I don't care about those things because I, was, I wasn't willing to say something uh, about this that lined up with their convictions or their uh, beliefs on Sunday. Oh man, oh, that text came in and you know what I felt in that moment. I stopped them and just prayed for them. I just said, Lord, thank you. No, I got so revved up. I got, I got my Twitter thumbs ready. Like I was ready to just put them on blast right back at him. And I started, you know, I was getting so ready, got revved up and how dare you, you don't even know. Wait, you, I want to see you try and lead a church. Like I was ready. Like, I, like, I, don't, I, I was ready to go off on this person. I mean, it came on like that for me. Now, I don't think I'm the only person that's ever responded that way when someone sends you an angry text or an email or says something to you in person like that. That is the desire within us to try and repay anger for anger, evil for evil. And what Paul's saying here is that it never actually works. I didn't want to honor and listen to this person. I wanted to show them how wrong they were. I wanted to show them how right I was. I wanted to write them off, their opinion, their beliefs, their convictions, as quickly as possible. And here's the funny thing. What they were saying to me wasn't even actually evil. It was just their opinion and their perspective. But immediately I said, no, they're wrong. I'm right, and I have to prove it, and I have to defend it. And any time that I get into that space where I have to prove that I'm right, I am very close from missing it and from messing up. In, in fact, tell me if you don't think this is true. To, to, to be right without being loving is wrong. That's what Paul's saying here. To prove that you're right, anytime you feel you're like, yo, oh, yeah, well, how about this? Like when you to be right to make sure you get your point across is to completely miss the point. To be right without actually being loving is actually wrong. Paul didn't say, make sure that you are more right than everyone else, did he? He said, to do what is right, what is kind, what is loving, what pursues peace with everyone that we engage with. He goes on, verse 18, to say this. This is, really, this is like foundational teaching here, right? He says this in verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, win the argument at all costs. Is that what yours says? That's what mine. Is that what yours says? No? (laughs) As far as it depends on you, put them in their place. Is that what? No. Okay. You're right. This one says, actually, as far as it depends on you, live at what? Live at peace. peace. With who? Live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with the people who agree with you. Live at peace with the people who like your Points or who like your posts live at peace with the people who look like you live at peace with the people who vote like you live at peace with the people in the same socioeconomic bracket as you nope as much as it's possible as much as it depends on you live at peace with everyone it's not my job it's not your job to be a pundit to have all the best points to yell the loudest It's our job to pursue peace wherever possible, whoever we are with. That's my job. That's actually your job. Now, that doesn't mean that you are not passionate. That doesn't mean that you don't have positions, that you don't have perspectives. That doesn't mean that you don't advocate, that you don't stand up or speak up for others. That doesn't mean actually that you don't disagree because here's the deal. You're going to disagree with others. In fact, if you just even thought about that in this room alone, just this gathering right here alone, odds are you can find someone in your row that you disagree with something that's pretty major and important to you. I bet you just going down the row, you'll find someone where you see it totally differently, and you totally disagree. That's actually a beautiful thing. If all of us believe the exact same thing, this stops being a church, and that's when it becomes a cult. And then we have to get those same shirts, you know, and... (laughs) We've already got the same sweatshirts in the store. So so let's not do that, okay? The point is that we're going to disagree. You should disagree. We're going to see things differently. But when you disagree, do it with dignity. To disagree with dignity is actually divine. It is a a rare and holy skill. To be able to disagree with someone with dignity is divine divine. And in, in fact, little context that we don't have time for. The Bible nerd and me kind of went all deep into this this last week. You know what's so interesting is that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Rome, he had actually already experienced the same principle himself. In fact, back in Acts chapter 15, the Bible tells us that Paul and another church leader at the time, Barnabas, uh, had led all these amazing trips and movements of God that they worked side by side. They were inseparable together. And then they were about to head off on another missionary trip to spread the love of Jesus throughout the known world of that time. And Barnabas wanted to bring this guy named John Mark. John Mark had been with them on a previous trip, but he had abandoned them. He left them. Like when things got hard, he split. Barnabas is like, Paul, I think we need to give him a second chance. Paul's like, no way. Why would we give him a second chance? That's unwise. It's foolish to bring him. I don't want to bring him. The text actually says they got into such a disagreement with each other that they decided to separate and go different ways. See, Paul already had experience what it means to disagree with someone. These are two church leaders talking about spreading the love of God. They could not see eye to eye. So they went their separate ways. But here's what's interesting. Never throughout the rest of the New Testament do you ever see Paul speak poorly about Barnabas. Never does he say, well, you know, I mean, obviously we know who won that round. We obviously know Barnabas. Nope. Never does he speak down to him. And when he says, as much as is possible, as far as it depends on you, this is what he's talking about. that You can disagree with dignity, and it's divine. To disagree without dignity is to demonize. That's what you're doing. When you disagree with someone without honoring their God-given dignity, you are just demonizing them. You, are, you stop seeing them as people and you only see them as their positions. It's when you start painting with the big, wide, broad stroke brush. Well, they're just this. Well, they're all that. That's demonizing. That's dehumanizing someone when you disagree without dignity. I, I've seen this in, in our culture. I've seen this in our church. I've seen it in my friends and seen it online. We've gotten to this point of extreme where if we don't If you don't see things 100% the same as me, then we have 0% to talk about. On whatever it is, any number of things. If we don't see marriage 100%, if you don't see marriage the way I see marriage, if we don't 100% agree on this, then we have nothing to talk about. Is there any dignity in that? Where's the dignity in that? If we don't see immigration, if you don't see immigration the way I see immigration, I've, you know, I've listened to a podcast. I know all about it. Like, you know, you don't understand this issue. If you don't see 100% my way, then we have 0% that we agree on. I, we have nothing to talk about because you don't see things exactly the way that I see them. If we don't agree on who should be in power, how they should rule, like, then, then we have nothing. It's 100% or 0%. That's, it's, again, we've gone from 0 to 11, silence to screaming. All we know are the extremes. When you disagree, which you will disagree with, folks, and you refuse to do it in dignity, to honor their God-given dignity, then all you're really doing is demonizing them. And what you do in the process then, whether you realize it or not, is you make them your enemy. They're not naturally your enemy. You make them your enemy in that moment. Paul has some more to say about that. Verse 19, he says, "'Do not take revenge. "'Don't take revenge, my dear friends.' But leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's my job, not your job. And you probably won't even like how I do it anyway, because I'm a God of holiness and justice, but also moved and motivated by love and grace. You probably won't even like how I do all this, but don't worry about it. That's mine to settle up, not yours. Paul goes on to write in verse 20, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If they're thirsty, then what? Give them, oh, come on, 11.30. Come on, man. <laughs> Y'all got to step your game up a little bit more. All right, let's try that again. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed, feed him. him. If they're thirsty, feed give them some to drink. And in doing this you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, it's like, what? What does that even mean? This is like some BC shade that Paul is bringing in. No, I'm serious, because this isn't his idea. The whole idea is actually he's borrowing from the wisdom, the ancient wisdom of Solomon. In Proverbs 25, 21, Solomon actually gave this advice first. He says, you really want to know how to shut down an argument? When someone starts pointing their finger at you, you open your arms in love, say, get over here, yo. Get over here. I love you. You love, you serve, and you change the dynamic. More rhetoric, more anger, more hate, repaying evil for evil will not get you there. Paul says, you want to know how to really get someone back? I mean, you want to really know how to get over on someone? Love them. They will not know what to do with you. They won't know what to do. You just ended the argument. I love you. Oh, yeah, we totally see that one different. I still love you. Changes the whole dynamic. You win in that regard. But ultimately, love wins. God wins. This isn't Paul's idea. It wasn't even Solomon's idea. It's God's idea. Because this is what he's done for me. This is what he's done for you. The Bible says that at one point we are enemies with God because of our sin, separated from God because of our sin. But instead of turning his back on the ones who constantly turn their backs on him, he loves. He pursues. And so the invitation is for us to do the same. The idea here is that love is the greatest revenge. Love's the greatest revenge. To love, to serve. Now, told you about the text that I got earlier. And uh, so, so I got all revved up, and I kind of wrote my draft, you know, and I was ready to send it off. And I sent it to Jeannie. I did some screenshots of the text that this guy had sent me and how the dialogue had gone. And I'm like, see, Jeannie, see? I told, like, I was trying to, like, get her on my side, you know, so I'd have some backup, you know. And so I had, I, this is what I'm going to say to him. And she goes, okay. I think you should call him. You know each other. You you actually love, you care about each other. You should call him. I'm like, well, like, call him after I send this? Or, like, what? (laughs) Because I'm like trying to find a way to put him on blast. And she goes, no, I think you should actually remember what you really love about him and call him. So I, I took a moment, I got quiet, and I called him. And the first words out of my mouth were, hey, man, I got your texts. Thank you. Thank you. I really, thank you. I appreciate your passion. I love that this is so important to you. Our church has so much to learn. Would you help us actually get better at this? Well, you understand. You know, He kind of came up. He's like, well, you understand. I'm just trying to tell you like, that you guys totally missed it on this one. I'm like, no, thank, I already, thank you. I appreciate that. And we began to talk more and more and more, and the conversation softened. And I saw that as an opportunity for us to grow our relationship, not blow it up. And if you're wondering, like, what happened after that, we kind of talked and had a great connection. Just went to breakfast a couple weeks ago. In fact, he was just texting me this last week. He was like, he was texting me. He's like, hey, remember when we got into it? like, yeah. He's like, I can be kind of opinionated. I'm like, you think? <laughs> Scroll up a couple text dialogues. Yeah, you'll. Fi- it's all right there, dude. And we're friends and we're in a relationship. Why? Because love's the greatest revenge. I could have tried to dial it up and come back at him with defensiveness and anger and intensity. And again, a thing that wasn't even evil to begin with. It was just his opinion, his perspective. But love changed the dialogue. It changed the dynamic. That's why Paul closes out by saying this, Romans 12, 21. He says this, This Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With Good. It feels overwhelming, doesn't it, right now in our culture? It feels overwhelming. It feels like I'm being overcome by all these opinions and all the, you know, this is the worst thing ever. No, this is the worst thing. No, today is actually the worst thing ever. Oh, I can just feel like I'm so overcome. I'm so overwhelmed. And the encouragement that we see here from the heart of God is that to to not be overwhelmed, to not be overcome, to not lose hope, to not lose our heart but to turn the tide, to turn the tables by actually extending good, extending love. Not just posting about it, not just tweeting about it, that's fine and that's good, but actually tangibly extending love in the direction of God. To do something that is proactively positive versus just stirring up more of the anger, more of the rhetoric, more of the hate. I love the way that Anne Lamott puts it, and I think so often I need to be reminded of this. Anne Lamott says this, You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Dying. (laughs) You can tell that you've made God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. If you are so busy trying to run around and get God to co-sign in all of your opinions, and all of your opinions, you might be missing the point. Last word I want to say to those of us who call ourselves Christians, okay? Last word. I think so often what I've experienced, what I've encountered, and what I've seen here in this church, and I see it to be true in me, is so often we want to be like Jesus in the temple overturning the tables, getting out that whip and giving it to all the folks who have got it wrong. We get so fired up and, oh, this is important. If our church doesn't talk about this, if we don't post about this, if we don't tweet about this, like I just, that energy rises up. And I totally get that. I, I can see, yes, Jesus did do that once. I just want to know, are you interested in following the same Jesus who wept over his city who stood outside the walls of Jerusalem and literally wept as he prayed for the city. God, the city's so broken. God, the city needs you. And he wept and he cried. Are you willing to follow that Jesus too? Are you willing to follow the Jesus that proactively pursued a person that society called his enemy? As Pastor Phil so brilliantly taught us a couple weeks ago, he pursued the Samaritan woman at the well. And there were nine different reasons he shouldn't have walked up to her, but he did. And he engaged with her in conversation, led her to the love of God. Are you willing to follow that Jesus? Are you willing to try and be like the Jesus who in the midst of a storm took a nap, was able to rest in the midst of the wind and the waves and everything feeling chaotic and out of control because there was a peace within him that was not contingent on his circumstances. There was something deeper in him that he knew. There was a peace that he carried with him. That's what we're called to. Living in and extending that kind of peace. And so what I want to do is actually lead us through a moment uh, to do something I don't think I do enough. I don't think we do enough. Um, We're going to just spend a moment lamenting our own brokenness and lamenting over the brokenness of our world. And then what we're going to do is we're going to do something that we're taught to do, that Jesus taught us to do, that we see throughout the Bible. What we're going to do is we're actually going to take a moment to pray for our enemies. I'm going to have you pray for your enemies, like by name. What we tend to do when we make some enemies, we paint in broad strokes. They're all this, they're only this, they just care about this. We're going to get like the fine point pen out right now, and we're going to pray for them by name. Pray for that person, that leader that group of people, that ex, that boss. We're going to pray for the people that we've made our enemies by name. And I know some of you are like, come on, man. I came to church. I want to be encouraged. I want to do hard stuff. I don't want to pray for my enemies. I don't want to pray for those that I hate. That's not what I want to do. I get it. It's hard to pray for people we hate. It's hard to pray. I get it. It is hard to pray for someone you hate. That is true. It's hard to do that, isn't it? But do you know what else is true. It's hard to hate someone you pray for. It's hard to pray for someone you hate. But it's really hard to keep on hating someone you're praying for. Because God changes your heart as you do. Opens up your heart to do what we were taught here today. To pursue peace, to extend love, to do good, however and wherever possible. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask everyone if you close your eyes and open up your hands. We're going to take a moment to just lament. You can start your prayer this, God, I'm so sorry for, and then just any any person you've judged, any leader that you've judged, any person in your life that you've judged, just, just confess, lament, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. I've just done it. I, I, I did what I see everyone else doing. God, I'm so sorry. And then I want you to, is. As specifically as you can, I want you to pray by name for people who you assumed were your enemy, who you thought you were supposed to hate. Just take a moment right now to pray for them by name. Don't pray that they become more like you. Just pray that they would experience the transforming love of God, that they would come to know him. Let him sort all the rest of it out. But pray that they would know him his love. Go ahead, pray for them by name, whoever it may be.